I would argue that the two most important episodes of any television show ever made are the pilot episode and the season finales. The, greatest the reason these are the greatest and most important episodes is because they have these very definitive characteristics. The pilot often gives us this superficial look at a brand new world and the very curious people who live in it. When done well, we learn just enough about these characters to be intrigued, to begin to feel a connection worth exploring. Just think of how the world changed the first time we met Hawkeye Pierce on MASH, or Daenerys Targaryen, first of her name in Game of Thrones, or Omar Little on the streets of Baltimore in The Wire. How different would our lives be if we never knew of Dunder Mifflin from The Office, or Pawnee, Indiana from Parks and Rec, or Ted Lasso's AFC Richmond Greyhounds. It is new and different and sometimes reminds us of our own lives and sometimes allows us to escape our own lives for only a moment and imagine something different. Season finales are a little different. They are the culmination of the season's storylines often providing small or sometimes big answers, and then inviting even bigger questions. It's Ross saying Rachel's name during the wedding to Emily. It's Charlie using his final moments on loss to tell Desmond that the boat near the island is not his beloved Penny's. It's Meredith Grey realizing that it's George and Izzy seeing a vision of him dressed in a military uniform. A season finale is both closure and a mystery. It is an ending with the promise of an unseen more to come. Now you may be asking, why am I talking about television shows? But the past week I've been trying to figure out if Christmas is a pilot or a season finale. Yes, it is the beginning of Jesus' life as the Word made flesh. The world will never be the same again because Jesus was born and there's enough intrigue in the story to spark our curiosity and our love for both the Christ child and the people who surround him. Yet, the birth of Jesus is also this culmination of the promises that God made to Abraham and to Jacob and to David and to his mother Mary. Jesus is grace and love and the promise of this enduring relationship with God that comes with joy and expectation and welcome. It forever ends the question of whether God is really with us or for us. And it begins our belief in the power of God's love and faithfulness. It holds within it the hope that all that is to come in the saving work of Jesus Christ is ours. 
It is from this that we receive the gift from God, that each of us may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all our toil. So is it a pilot? Or is it a season finale? I don't think I can decide. But I can tell you I am so excited for what's next. So um, I feel like we haven't had enough Old Testament or Hebrew scriptures yet, so I'm going to add in one more. This is from the book of Ruth. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So at this point, I've done a few weddings, um, and this is my favorite text to use when I preach at a wedding service. And it's a great text of covenant because it's about two people choosing to be family for one another. And so what is a better text for a wedding than that? But one of the reasons I like it so much is because it's not actually about romantic love. If you guys know the story of the book of Ruth, this is at the very beginning. Naomi and her husband have had to leave their homeland and go to Moab to find a life and make a life. And their sons marry women from Moab. And then the husband and the sons all die. And Naomi is returning home to her people in Israel. But she's built such a tight bond of connection with her daughters-in-law that they don't want to leave her. They're willing to leave the community and the home that they have grown up with to continue to be family with her. And so I think it's because this moment of covenant and connection isn't about romantic love is part of what makes it perfect for a wedding. There are a lot of ways that we make covenant as people of faith in the church today, but it's not always something we talk about. We may talk about joining a church or taking ordination vows. We may talk about getting married or adopting someone into our families, but those are all types of covenants that we make. It's choosing to live out a promise that God has called you to. When Jacob and I were first married, we tried to do the whole treat people as you want them to be treated thing, especially when we were sick. And it didn't actually work out well because when Jacob's sick, he wants you to bring him crackers and soda and make sure he has enough blankets and not go too far away. And when I'm sick, I want to be left alone. No one touching me, put some Sprite by the door and go away. And so it took us a while to learn that part of how we love each other well is to treat someone how they want to be treated instead of how we want to be treated. And to do that, we had to use our words to say what it was we wanted. 
In families, as well as in communities of faith, we have a lot of expectations of each other. We have a lot of things we want and expect, but we're not always good at saying those things out loud. And I don't know about you, but I have yet to develop the necessary ESP to meet people's needs that are unspoken. So part of the work of a covenant, and it's being a community that has been called together, is to make the unsaid said. What do we need from one another? What do we hope for? What do we expect? What do we bring to the table to offer? And what baggage have we brought along us for this point in the journey? A few weeks ago, I was doing some casual reading in the Presbyterian Book of Order. <laughs> because that's exactly how cool I am. And because we're Presbyterians and we have lots of documents, there's already some language laid out about what it is to be the church together. The Book of Order says the church is the body of Christ. And Christ gives to the church all the necessary gifts to be the body. And the church strives to demonstrate these gifts in its life as a community and in the world. And so I think that's a pretty good place to start when we think about what has God called us together to do this year. God has called us together to be the body of Christ, not just a body of Christ, but this particular one in Maryville, Tennessee. And whether we wonder whether or not we have all that it takes, we're reminded that God has given us all the gifts necessary to do the work that God has called us to, to demonstrate these gifts of love and care and change and redemption in the life of this community and in our world. So as we move forward, I want to ask you guys to take a moment to think, and we'll be doing some more of this later in the day, what is it that you need from this community? What is it that you bring? What is it that you have to offer and you hope to receive so that we can make the things that are unsaid between us said and live fully into the mission that God has called us to? Jamal Hinton was 17 years old, living in Mesa, Arizona, when he got a text from an unfamiliar number. Thanksgiving dinner at my house, November 24, 3 p.m. Jamal texted back, who's this? And the reply came, your grandma. Jamal asked for a picture, and when he got a selfie of a 60-ish year old white woman, he texted back, you're not my grandma, and sent a picture of himself, a young black male. Now, we've all done this before. You sent something you didn't mean to, or you type one wrong digit and sent it to a stranger. I got one yesterday. Shirley from San Francisco was looking for Anna. I am neither. It just happens. And you know what you do. I'm so sorry. I apologize. Forgive me. I meant to send that to somebody else. I didn't want to interrupt you. Or if you're on the receiving end, maybe you're uber cautious and thinking, oh, this is some kind of phishing scam here. I'm not going to reply at all. But sometimes the unknown is where the magic happens. And in 2016, when Jamal Hinton got that missent text about Thanksgiving dinner, I can almost picture him grinning as he leans in and texts back, can I still get a plate, though? 
And Wanda Dench, who was 20 miles away in Tempe, was bold enough to say, of course you can. It's what grandmas do. We feed everyone. Now, you may have heard this story before. This last Thanksgiving, Jamal and Wanda spent their eighth Thanksgiving together. They uh, lived through Jamal's breakup with a longtime girlfriend and the death of Wanda's husband from COVID in 2020. But I still think about the courage it took them to send those initial texts. Can I get a plate? Of course you can. Now, it would have been easier to just apologize for the wrong number and move on, but they didn't. They engaged, which was gutsy on both of their parts. But when they did, a new connection was formed. And when I think of community, that's what I imagine. Reaching across the table, or across the aisle, or whatever it is that divides us, race, gender, politics, socioeconomic status, reaching across all of those things to forge a new connection. The Apostle John says, Beloved, let us love one another. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. If you've been around here for long at all, you've heard me say many times that New Providence is a big tent and there is plenty of room under the tent. We don't have to agree about everything to be in community together, but we do agree to love one another despite our disagreements. Michael Curry is the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church. You may remember he's the one who preached at the most recent royal wedding. And Michael Curry says, if it's not about love, it's not about God. Because love is at the heart of the gospel. And he says, if the way you read the Bible does not lead you to greater love for God and greater love for your neighbors, it's not love. And it certainly is not God. Amen? Would you stand with me? We have an affirmation of faith that we're going to use about community. So let's stand and say this together. We believe that joy is a sacred gift.